And do I ad lib all of these? You don't have to. I mean, you can just introduce Well, I wasn't time. sure if we were ad-libbing ourselves or I'm ad-libbing for you. Oh, I, I assume that the host will ad-lib. Mm -hmm. oh, okay. Um, well, then let me take it again and I'm going to ad-lib for all of you. Okay. I hope you're ready for that. Hello, and welcome to Murder Husbands, an episode-by-episode deep-dive appreciation of the Brian Fuller-created series Cannibal, based on characters from the novels by Thomas Harris. We are Popsicle, a group of like-minded creators who enjoy getting together to have big conversations for big stories. I am the Eye of the Tiger, Kelly Sue Milano, and also writer of the ongoing <laughs> sci-fi fantasy series Hex 11. With me as always are my esteemed Popsicle co-hosts, the truly kick-ass Lisa K. Weber, who is the creative director of Hex Comics. She is also the artist of Hex 11, and she has the daintiest hands. Hey, Lisa. Hi. Hi. <laughs> we also have Justin Penniston. He is the creator of the hard-boiled webcomic Hunter Black and also knows more than all the rest of us combined. What's up, Justin? Only about like nerdy minutia. Only about nerdy minutia. Nothing important. Maybe. Nothing of any importance whatsoever. <laughs> I don't feel that way. We also have Claire Thorne, who is a massive Thor enthusiast Huzzah. and also the um, creator of geeky cross-stitch patterns on the unexpected hobby Etsy shop. Yes, yes, that is exactly it. Although I have not cross-stitched Thor's abs yet, so uh, clearly I'm not. Uh, well, you need to get on that. I will. There. I, mean, I know. Yeah. And then finally, the solid gold dancer of TikTok. There you go. If TikTok had Soul Train, Philip Kelly would be the winner every time. He's also an actor and a comedian and a writer and some other stuff. Hey, Phil. Hey, though, these days I've been doing more dancing than any of the other stuff. So there you go. Speaking as the one of us who probably watched the most Soul Train, everything that <laughs> Kelly Sue said was absolutely true. <laughs> it's true, yes. I grew okay. up on Soul Train. Yeah. yeah. So now that we're all here and introduced, before we dive into our discussion of this episode, Phil and Claire are going to take us through a quick recap of Amouche-Bouche. Will Graham is now a special consulting investigator for the FBI. After the events at the Hobbs residence, Jack enlists Will to help him inspect Garrett Jacob Hobbs' cabin in the woods, which also happens to be a treasure trove of antlers. In the middle of the walkthrough, they are alerted to a new case. Nine bodies were discovered by a group of teenage hikers, each person buried alive and appearing to be growing mushrooms from their body. The team back at the lab finds that each victim was a diabetic and in an insulin-induced coma, leading them to believe they are looking for a pharmacist. Because they dug up this psychopharmacist human mushroom garden, they know he'll be eager to plant a new one and they have to act fast, which they do until their attempts are thwarted by Freddie Goddamn Lounds, and that is her full name, 
a tabloid blogger who wants to get information at any cost to post on her splashy crime blog. She starts with an inside peek at the Minnesota Strike's evil lair and then starts meddling in the mushroom garden case when she gets curious about Will Graham and why exactly he's brooding all over crime scenes. Her fascination gets her in trouble when she finds herself face-to-face with Eldon Stamets. He asks her for everything she knows about Will Graham because he believes that Will understands him. He plans to lure Will with Abigail Hobbs' body and gets close, even abducting her, still comatose, from her hospital room. But Will catches him with a gunshot to the shoulder. The episode closes in Hannibal's truly glorious office as he listens to Will explain that he didn't see the ghost of Garrett Jacob Hobbs when he shot Eldon Stamets. Hannibal posits that it's because Will didn't kill Stamets that it was the killing that felt good and just. Hannibal further likens it to the feeling that God must have when he kills. Powerful. The show blows my mind. Okay, so diving right into characters, we're already seeing Will Graham unravel. I mean, we kind of already knew that he was unstable, but now he's super unraveling. Um, And though we know that Hannibal is a true baddie, what we've seen so far is really kind and compassionate and curious and very um, just generally helpful. And then we have the introduction of Freddie Lowndes and a look at an, an actual serial killer. So let's dive in and have at that. What are our thoughts about just this next step for all of these characters and Freddie Lowndes? who we get to see in this episode. Um, I remember the first time uh, watching this through being very excited at the casting of Freddie Lowndes. Not that I was familiar with the actress herself, but the fact that it was a woman and um, like, she's so stylish. (laughs) And I really appreciated all of the kind of attention to detail around her. and yeah, I mean, like I, she is obviously very difficult to like. She's truly awful. Yeah. <laughs> Which is kind of what makes her awesome. Totally. Exactly, exactly. And so, um, yeah, and I kind of liked her whole like shtick with the, um, like with the um, agent who she got fired and mm-hmm. she was like you know ready to set him up on the next step <laughs> of his career and everything because she'd obviously like had practice getting people to like having people end up getting fired because of her so yeah. um I liked all of these things about her so I will just like start with that on Freddie Lowndes well and I think I appreciate as well that I mean she is despicable but she's not a stupid despicable yeah. she's not a smarmy despicable exactly she's smart and there's moments where i think she's the one who understands better than anybody else in the show she's got a more much more objective viewpoint than anyone else so she sees the damage that people are doing to other people that we you know that our main characters don't aren't always savvy enough to really understand i think um even though you know you know she's going to take all of that information the things that she sees and she's not going to use that to help anybody. She's just going to use it for her own whatever's. Um, but I, I kind of, 
I kind of like that about her that she's, you know, I, I would rely on Freddie to give me an, a, a better assessment of, of people's states of mind than almost anybody else in the show, because everybody else is just a little bit other than Hannibal, obviously is just like, wow, their heads are in the clouds at times. One of the things I really dig about this character, because this is a, this, this Freddie Lowndes character is a pretty archetypical character, you know, the, the scuzzy um, investigative reporter, you know, tabloid journalist. Um, But we don't often get to see this sort of unlikable character played by a woman. You know, it's almost always a man. It's always somebody casting that, you know, Harvey Bullock Batman role, you know, someone who's kind of slovenly and gross and, you know, and using those qualities to sort of accent the fact that they do, you know, greasy things, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, As was I like, depicted by Philip Seymour Hoffman. Philip Seymour Hoffman. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, I really dig that they went, that Brian Fuller chose to go this other direction, mm-hmm. A, just to, you know, to diversify the cast some, um, and B, to find the character that fulfills, he's got this habit. Every show he does features a prominent female character with a man's name. Mm-hmm. You know, Dead Like Me, the main, char- the main character is a woman named George. The female lead in mm-hmm. Pushing Daisy is a girl named Chuck. Oh, yeah. Um, even Star Trek Discovery, which he created, yeah. the main character is a woman named Michael, mm-hmm. you know, and now here he's got a woman named Freddie, you know, um, and he doesn't have to change the name of the character from the books, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> this is my, also my first experience with Lara Jean Stecky, if I'm saying that right. Um, in fact, the only other time I've ever seen her is mm-hmm. in The Expanse. Right. Um, and, you know, she's got a real knack for playing not so good people. <laughs> not so likable people and doing it well in a, in a really charismatic and impressive way i'm right i'm really really st- struck by her mm-hmm. i'm also really struck by and again this is important i think because she's a female character and they don't do things like this with female characters often enough when shit goes down you know when stamets shows up and blows that cop's head off in front of her Ooh. and you know she is unshaken Mm-hmm. you know like she there's never a moment when we go through you know her trauma at being this close to to death and to a serial killer you know she mm-hmm. is she's cast very much in the lowest lane mold in that way you know what i mean sure. and i i dig that shit i think that's a character we don't see enough of um and also everyone in the show is so likable even jack you know the way he's kind of a dick is likable you know oh, i fucking love jack i love jack yeah he, but he is a dick he is a dick though yeah. he's, he's, he's oh my a gosh, dick yeah. well, no she's I mean, just dick yeah you know just dick. oh yeah 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 no <laughs> but the, the scene where the, somebody comes in and interrupts him talking to will while they're like in the classroom or whatever and he turns around and shouts at this guy I, it might be the only moment oh, in the whole the series bathroom. where they're in the oh the bathroom, bathroom. yes it's yeah. the bathroom yes. It might yeah. be the only moment in the show where I'm like, that was a little weird and like not quite, it, it felt overblown, but also at the same time, it's like, holy shit, Jack has got some anger management issues. Yeah. Just- and also he tells that guy, go use a ladies room. He just straight up. <laughs> 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 you know? Yeah. Um, Which is amazing. But, you know, Freddie is in a charismatic way, 
utterly despicable, just unlikable, you know, has seemingly has, there's no line she won't cross. Mm -hmm. And I love that. And it's made so much better because it's a woman and it's a character we don't get to see often enough, you know? Totally agreed on all points. All right, Phil. I think what's really interesting about the Hannibal character is that I keep questioning myself, is he really a bad guy? Like they're doing such a good job in this show of uh, of waiting, you know what I mean? Um, uh-huh. You know, he just stands back, he waits. Uh, he's doing such a great job performing the kind of observational quality of this chess game that he's playing. Um, and it, it's, uh, it's really remarkably well done. But what I like also seeing in this episode is getting to hear the patterns of speech of the actual serial killer. Um, he does a really, really great job, uh, especially at the end there when he when he's speaking about the, uh, you know, what he was trying to do and, and, and how he's hoping Will would understand him. Um, it's a really great character portrayal and performance. Um, mm-hmm. I don't I don't know the actor's name, but um, to see that in a show where I mean, two episodes in the two serial killers that we have seen are seem pretty, you know, smart and normal, you know, mm. Hannibal's. A little eccentric um he's very smart uh but you know he he's not uh crazy in mm-hmm. the the sense that we <laughs> would expect someone to be crazy you know what i mean i, I think well, this I guy's mean, not obviously kind of crazy thing about, he's not obviously yeah. crazy right and that's kind um, of the thing about serial killers as we yeah. know them in the real world right like yeah. it's yeah it's, it's always like oh he seemed like such a nice quiet neighbor i never suspected yeah and and perhaps if we saw this uh the uh, the serial killer from this episode just in his day-to-day life he'd probably come off as fairly normal as well i mean he's working at a a drugstore and everything but to see that Mm -hmm. sort of moment of that breaking of the wall and seeing what he actually is underneath that is i thought was really great and and really well timed in you know what we've Mm -hmm. seen so far yeah the show I didn't realize until this episode the bias that I have towards pharmacists because I was like, oh man, I could totally see a pharmacist being a serial killer. (laughs) Pharmacists are weird, man. (laughs) 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 It's a job I've never understood why somebody would go into it. And I'm sure if somebody's going to listen to this and be like, I need to school Kelly Sue on everything she just said about pharmacists but I was also like I buy it like I buy it um yeah, yeah. so speaking of the psycho pharmacist this dude is a mega psycho and our first glimpse at the actualization of his psychosis is pretty intense I mean Justin I think I remember you saying that this was when your wife was like I'm done yeah she checked out this and episode, that's just yeah. episode two because what we find in the beginning of this episode is of course um, a human mushroom garden. People literally buried and kept alive to grow mushrooms with their body. Um, So that's, we could talk about just this visual probably an entire (laughs) episode, right? Um, But there's also a lot of more, there's more symbols coming through in Will's nightmares and there's tons just in general there's tons of symbolism on this show so i added a couple of these other things to talk about this time around but i'm really just like can we dive into this mushroom garden 
<laughs> wow. I need to talk about it with someone. Not going to dive into it because it, I imagine it was somewhat slimy and <laughs> I have, I can't keep normal like plants alive just in general. And so the, yeah. the degree of, of respect I have for this mm -hmm. guy who can keep this whole little I don't know what you call this system of gardening exactly, but he can keep it going successfully. Yeah. Um, which I, which is amazing. And, and it's interesting to me that in the show, it's not just like they go one step further in this mm. scene because we get the, we get the static visual of the crime scene and it is, it is eerily disturbing and like kind of beautiful at the same time. And and it's hard to wrap your head around the fact that the people were still alive when they're put in there, but then they jump to the scene where Will is interrupted in his little head, you know, palace, uh, crime scene head palace with, with this guy starting to make noises. And he's like, he's a skeleton practically yeah. and he's yeah. still alive and it was it was it, it's they just dipped their toe in just the very slightest bit into that like seven level of you know like the movie seven where you oh, were just yeah. bombarded over and over and over again with what you thought was the worst visual you've ever experienced but oh. no we're going to take it one step further mm -hmm. um, and and I appreciate that this show doesn't do that that often, really. Mm, I mean, mm -hmm. they I think they pace it pretty well, and mm. for the most part. But boy, that was yeah, that dude was that's harsh. Yeah, it's like hard. when they're when um, you know Beverly pulls the tape off, and it's just like oh, there's the skin came off with that and all of the flesh and it's just a skull down there. I was like, <laughs> and this was before the dude is revealed to still be alive. And it's like just that. And they, they do it in like a slight slow-mo. <laughs> I'm just like, why? <laughs> well, you always want, you always want to pull the band dead off slowly. I think that's just, but I, I know I, 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 I do want to, <laughs> I'm, I'm joking. I'm joking. I, I, but I, I think as a storyteller, you want to take it off slowly. <laughs> yes, you do. You that's know, true. Uh, you you with injuries, you want to get it over and done with. Yeah. And I know I'm going to probably dig into this, like the crime scene a little more when we get down to the exquisite corpse episode. Um, but I, I'm curious, I haven't made up my mind about what the stag means yet. Uh, and I, 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 I know it's, um, it's a, it sort of comes from this, the, the crime scenes that we've seen already and what's happening there because, but it is a very interesting visual that, uh, um, you know, again, you have the, mm -hmm. the hunter kind of thing and, the it's very beautiful. Mm -hmm. Like there, I don't think there's a stag in nature that has that sort of uh, dark black color um but you are really pulled into these moments where he's dreaming and seeing these things and where the stag mm -hmm. is kind of leaving it around and i think about other sort of uh black there's black goats there's black dogs usually representing uh mm -hmm. the devil uh, uh or you know witches of some kind and things like that yeah and i, I do find it's interesting and in, in that they chose a a dark black crow colored stag the kind of represent this thing that will is chasing that he's chasing the devil 
Uh, love it. I love that imagery. It's powerful. I remember being very struck by yeah. the first time that I saw the, I think it's referred to as the Raven Stag, right? The Raven Stag, yeah. It's one of the yeah. names. Yeah, I think the, one of the, names. the number of names that, um, yeah. The Shrike Stag, I think. I've yeah, that's another people. one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that slow mo, that slow mo with the tape. That is one of so many kind of cinematography choices that they make on this show where you're left thinking like they just slow mode them basically ripping this dude's mouth off. That was a yeah. choice. And I also want to mention because they, it, it happened in the first episode, it's happening in this episode and I think it happens throughout the rest of um, I mean, really the rest of the show, the interesting way that they edit the show around Hannibal mm. based oh, on certain, like, it's brilliant. It. It's brilliant. Yeah. And it wasn't until this rewatch that I was really noticing like, wow, they are so intentional with the way that they edit specifically for him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, That's well, if you, you go back in, I was really kind of pointed to me in this watch through how mm. many times we just assume Freddie Lowndes is dead. Yeah, they keep, yeah, they yeah. keep putting her in situations <laughs> and you, you, and then cut to commercial and you're like, Oh, well she yeah. freaking dead in this episode alone. She dies twice. And it's, it sure. is now, it is now my theory that she actually dies all of those times because it doesn't make any sense that she doesn't. Mm -hmm. But she has some sort of evil regenerative. She can just come back to life and regenerate herself and keep going. I, I believe yes. 150% that she is some kind of paranormal something. Yeah. And I just she's wanted dead. to say, she like, going, going back yes. to, like, what Philip was saying about, um, like, how they're kind of taking their time with mm -hmm. Hannibal's true evilness. Uh -huh. um and because I remember again watching this through the first time just feeling utter dread even though I didn't like Fre Freddie Lowndes in that uh -huh. scene where he's you know they're in his office together Ooh. and you know the jig is up and he's like you've been terribly rude and it's like oh he doesn't like rude people <laughs> and I was like like I still like like I said even though I didn't like her I was still like I I had a lot of dread for her fate oh yeah but then she's still around like he just was like you know stern talking to you know <laughs> GTFO and like <laughs> we have an understanding from here on out that you don't mess with me um but it's like um but yeah I just I I yeah, while we're on the subject of like the editing around Hannibal mm -hmm. and, the, and the, you know, the restraint around Hannibal, yes. it's all just so expertly done. I agree. Yes. So expertly done. That, you um, know, Hannibal oh never seems more intimidating thus far than he does when he's talking to Freddie Lowndes. Mm -hmm. You know, that's when you, that's when you start to, re you remember as a viewer, oh, this is the bad guy. You know yeah. what I mean? And like, because he's, he's so charming and urbane most of the other yeah. time, you know, and talk about stylish. That dude is, you know, 
always, always, no matter what he's doing, always looks just phenomenal. Yeah. And, you know, then, but just like, you're really like, yeah, you're scared for Freddie, even though you don't like her, you know? Um, yeah. And, and you're, you believe she's going to get it because you also believe she deserves it in the context of story. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Yes. Um, yeah. I, uh, the, the thing that's really interesting, like, uh, and I just kind of plucked this observation listening to things you guys have said earlier and then things you're saying right now, mm. you know, in that, you know, these, these serial killers are kind of presented in this like milk toasty kind of way. Mm -hmm. they, they seem like kind of soft-spoken kind of, you know, guys are just trying to do the best they can with what they got. You know what I mean? And that can, you get fooled by that. You, you do get fooled by that. Mm -hmm. And slow-mo ripping off of faces in mushroom gardens is here to remind you <laughs> yeah. that these people are not fucking milk toast sweethearts. Yeah. Do you know oh. what I'm saying? Yeah. Like yeah. it's there. And the, 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 the way it really works is because they, the show keeps those things separate. Mm -hmm. You know, you see the horror of the reveal. You never see the serial killer, at least thus far, you never see the serial killer and his work at the same time. Mm -hmm you know and yep. so you're you 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 get you get fooled and i'm sure it's intentional you get fooled into to mm -hmm. almost sympathizing with some of the with you know with eldon stamets mm -hmm. you know freaky pharmacist ass you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know? Uh, totally you know? and you've forgotten that you know just you know 20 minutes earlier beverly mm -hmm. Katz ripped half his face off half a guy's face off because of this dude you know yeah. Yeah. um I think that image is a perfect place to end for this break. <laughs> <laughs> um, after which we're gonna dive more into exactly this, like this sort of psychology and the motivations of these pharmacist asses. <laughs> or whatever. Freaky pharmacist asses. Freaky pharmacist ass. Let's just get right into that, you know, MO. Cool, so we'll be back after some messages from some messengers. All right, so we're back chatting about the psychology of freaky pharmacist ass serial killers um, among many. Um, so what stood out for me as a theme specifically in this episode, but this is really a theme throughout the entire show is the, the power of being understood and how being understood kind of helps us validate ourselves and validate why we do the things that we do. And that being misunderstood um, kind of leaves us painfully questioning these things and feeling very disconnected. Um, obviously, as we have spoken about now a lot, the serial killer that we meet in this episode is we find that he's actually really hell-bent on getting Will Graham to talk with him because he's like, this dude understands me. Um, and it just kind of got me thinking, like, is, is there, do we think that there is some kind of like absolution in being understood? Like, oh, if I can get him to see why I've done this heinous, disgusting, horrible thing, he'll see that I'm not bad. Mm. 
that was kind of what came through to me, especially when Eldon Stamets is, you know, his shoulder is like shot and he's like, I just needed you to know that this is why I do this, that like I'm giving these people life that they wouldn't have otherwise had. And the fungus can knows that you're there and it reaches for you, right? Mm. Um, and how much of that is him being like, see, like you have to get it. It's really not that bad. Meanwhile, we're still left with this image of these people are dying in mud mm-hmm. and there's mushrooms growing all over their body. Yeah. I, um, I, <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, what Eldon Stamets says about like, you know, connection and everybody's kind of looking for a connection is yeah. true. That's something that we all feel and we mm-hmm. all experience mm-hmm. every day. And I would venture to say that serial killers in particular are very lonely people. Um, <laughs> they do a pretty good job of isolating yeah. themselves mm-hmm. and separating themselves from society at large. Yeah. And um, so, you know, this all tracks. Totally. And so far in the cases of Gary Jacob Hobbs and... Eldon Stamets, Mm -hmm. there is this sense of this is what they're, they're not doing it as some form of I'm superior, Mm -hmm. which we're kind of given to understand in a lot of other serial killer type stories. It's not a matter of I'm superior to these victims of mine. It's I am, uh, I'm trying to connect to the world through these victims and so, yeah, when someone like Will Graham comes along and, you know, Freddie Lowndes amplifies what Will Graham does, which is that he makes connections with serial killers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's going to become like, you know, they're going to start like the serial killers are going to start fanning out over him. Like, mm-hmm. oh, finally, someone who gets me. <laughs> so <laughs> which is which is fascinating because Will is kind of one of these heat and maybe I'm going out on a limb a little bit here, but Will is one of these people that kind of doesn't want to be understood. Like he doesn't no, want I mean, people he, in his he head, wants you know? To, he wants to withdraw as well because like we talked yeah. about in the last episode, it's like he has an empathic disorder. Yeah. It's too much. Mm-hmm. He yeah. overconnects. Too much. He connection. knows that about himself, which is why he wants to withdraw. Totally. Um, and so, yeah, it's all very fascinating, the kind of push and pull Mm-hmm. and the give and take between all of these characters. Well, and Definitely. I think we're supposed to immediately start examining the parallel of what the serial killer in the the whatever given episode um, we're looking at, how that person represents the Hannibal, the true, you know, uh, puppet master, you know, behind the curtain, um, and what he wants out of this relationship he's pursuing with will like is he is he just curious at this point um that that will could be a sympathetic you know uh Mm -hmm. character is he looking for someone to understand him does he care that anybody understands him does he um 
does he want to have an actual like meeting of the minds with Will? Does he just want to mold him? Like, we don't know exactly what he is. And I, I think all of these individual characters that we get in each of these episodes, like the pharmacist, which I've never been so glad that I get my, my medicine through the mail as I am <laughs> today. Um, but it, I think they are giving us these little um, nuggets to like, ponder about okay well you know what what is the real reason um behind these characters wanting or not wanting to connect with each other uh, and we'll we're gonna bounce back and forth i don't think there's a spoiler totally. there in saying that we're gonna not really understand that answer and mm -hmm. maybe never really understand that answer but yeah well i think to a degree i think that answer is one that's in flux mm -hmm. I think that the way Hannibal feels about Will Graham in the first episode, like, you know, I think it's, it, it evolves over the course of this first season. I think it's important that we remember that in these early, I mean, that they just met, mm -hmm. you know? And so Hannibal's feelings about Will Graham are just a burthen, you know, they're not quite, I don't think they're necessarily where they're going to be just yet. Mm -hmm. um, in a slightly similar way with Stamets, I don't think Stamets is trying to connect with Will. Mm. I think Stamets believes that Will understands him right? because that's what he was told. Mm -hmm. And he's trying, because it's not like he's trying to put Will in the ground. Mm -hmm. He's trying to put um, Abigail into the ground Right. So that Will can connect to Abigail. Mm -hmm. Because I think as far as Eldon, as Stamets is concerned, Abigail is not a serial killer. Mm -hmm. You know? Mm -hmm. And, you know, that that's who, you know, Will connects to, maybe. Mm -hmm. And, we, you know, especially since Abigail's still in a coma, right. you know, that this, this sort of, you know, this mushroom transmission network that he wants to grow on her Mm -hmm. will allow her to connect to will i think he thinks he's doing will a solid yeah you know he's rewarding will for his the depth of his understanding absolutely but what i love about the way Great. that that character is drawn is you never the way he expresses what it is he's doing makes it very very clear that he does not perceive any other reality there is he is so certain about his his narrow um psychopathy the way he looks at you know the world is absolutely 100 percent like solid brick walls there is mm -hmm. nothing chips away at the way he thinks uh, that that is an absolute true fact that he is doing something good for will he there's you can just hear it in everything that he he is and and how disassociated he is from normal society um it, you can really feel it in that moment in that performance absolutely Phil. Um, yeah, no, I, you know, speaking about the, the Will and Hannibal thing, I, mm. it's really interesting for me to watch Will slowly start to open up to Hannibal because Hannibal is showing that he does understand him to a degree that other characters do not. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it's fun to see Hannibal slowly start to manipulate Will's perception of things. Mm -hmm. um, that final exchange between them uh, where they talk about you know, power and, and God and things like that is a really interesting exchange because he's, he, he sort of, while some of that might be true, 
uh, he, he definitely is affecting Will's idea of what killing somebody is. He's planting new ideas in his head. And you see Hannibal do this, gaining people's trust by doing something good or acting like he's doing something good so that later on he can use that trust to kind of shift something in, in his way. I'm So that this being understood and being accepted is, mm. I, I think, yes, uh, people want to be understood so they can be accepted, but it also opens people up to being uh, tools, I think, as, as we're seeing Oh so yeah, far. bingo. Not um, unlike the way that human bodies were used as tools <laughs> to grow mushrooms. I think this is a perfect time to transition into our next segment, which Justin is going to lead us through. It's called Exquisite Corpse, and we really get to dig in <laughs> to wow. this. This is Exquisite Corpse. Uh, this segment of the show, uh, we look in particular at the crime scene visuals uh, in the show, maybe you know, discuss the symbols that we see there and, and what those symbols might mean. Um, in this episode where we are treated to a gruesome and unique tableau, uh, nine bodies all laid side by side in a garden. Um, Mushrooms growing all over the people uh, as they're buried underground um, with IVs and air pumps, you know, pumped in to keep the people alive long enough to properly fertilize the mushrooms. Um, so I did a little bit of digging. Um, I <laughs> an intentional pun there. Um, I went into my dictionary of symbols. Um, that same book <laughs> do you uh, well it's a good book um, <laughs> although before we get to that actually uh this 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 whole thing comes from another brian fullerism like i discussed mm. earlier how mm. he really has this thing with names mm -hmm. and um oh don't take my are you about to take my recommendation from me <laughs> I don't know, but I don't think so. I might about be about to, to mention about Star something. Trek Discovery? I'm about to mention something. Well, St Paul Stamets is a mycologist, the one of the world's leading mycologists. Sorry. Um, I, um, you guys are this is how this is how big of nerds you are. Yeah. It, yeah. Right here. We're very, we're tracking right now. We're very in sync. Yes. Yes. We're having, <laughs> we're having that moment that proves this is the, the exception that proves the rule. <laughs> this is actually remarkable. I'm so um, glad it's supported. I can't wait to. We're clearly it. on the mycelium network right now. So oh. right, let's, <laughs> let's keep going. going. So, so Fuller has named multiple characters after, after the, the scientist Paul Stamets. And he has dug into the idea of networking through mushrooms before he does it here. And it's one of the basic premises of Star Trek Discovery, which I won't get too deep into. Um, but uh, there's, there's that. Um, <laughs> mushrooms are, are symbols in a lot of societies of life and death, uh, perhaps because they can be dried and made to last for a long time. Uh, in China, the immortals eat them in particular with cinnamon, gold, and jade. Um, 
Mushrooms are thought to flourish in times of peace and good rule in China. Um, and the Taoists actually interpret the dome shape of a mushroom cap with the dome of heaven. Oh. Um, in Siberia, they believe that the souls of the dead were reincarnated in the shape of mushrooms on the moon, which then fell down to earth. Um, Love that. In Africa, the Bantu use mushrooms as symbols for the soul. And I think all of this really connects to, I think it indicates that humanity is digging into the science behind it about the connectivity between mm-hmm. fungi and the way they network to allow people to communicate or starships to tra- you know traverse the universe. <laughs> um, and I think that this is a symbol that for whatever reason, whatever reason really resonates powerfully with Brian Fuller. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that is why he's using it to associate and you know mushrooms do you know they grow on dead things you know it's just it's just one of those things mm-hmm. um i uh but i'm also struck um and this is not related to mushrooms in particular by the way that he is uh using some of this symbolism to personify the character mm. you know a pharmacist is besides being freaky you know and untrustworthy <laughs> i'm there with you i'm there with you a pharmacist is just uh, a, you know a drug dealer with a better tailor you know what i'm saying like mm-hmm. so i i feel you mm-hmm. but um don't get me wrong i go to the pharmacist like every two weeks but you know um a pharmacist is a scientist mm-hmm. and they make a point of pointing out that there's some sciencey shit going on in this tableau you know the ivs the the um the, the sugar water you know mm-hmm. the way that they're being put into a diabetic coma the fact that the graves are even lined up evenly and you know and spaced in a very meticulous gardening sort of way mm-hmm. um this to me thus far in my rewatch and i've only watched the first three episodes thus far this is like the 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 one that i feel is the most put together thought out dripping in symbolism sort of tableau well, yeah, um, well, you and you mentioned the science because this episode. I mean, I remember even the first time I watched it, getting such strong uh, fringe vibe mm, because yeah. it does have that connection to science. Where if you like, if you're like me, and you let your mind go into that, that especially in the description at the very beginning where they're talking about how the, the network, the mushroom network, is mimics the network in the brain and then you my my brain immediately went to oh my god this guy thinks that he is literally physically like recreating the these people um their souls like through this you know um mushroom network of i I can't even you know describe it but i could absolutely have seen that crime scene Mm -hmm. um in the show fringe as well and suddenly getting this very you know interesting pseudoscientific you know uh explanation for what was going on um i love that i love that totally well, and to talk about like the the kind of brain aspect, I mean, it's in the cinematography as well, where it's like they have that weird kind of like kind of surreal segment where it's like we actually see the mushroom network growing in the dirt. Yeah. Um, and it does look up, yeah. very, it looks very brain-like. Um, 
Like it's connecting some synapses. Absolutely. Um, I also just want to like really quickly talk about like the way the hands are positioned out of the ground is so like it's so like it's a renaissance kind of hand and um and I just I I really really I found that very beautiful as well that they're I mean you know he talks about how the mushrooms reach out for you and it's like these hands are out here like well, call. specifically Ooh. specifically about that because that's what i was going to talk about too because it was nice. bothering me for the last two weeks since i watched that episode i'm like where have i seen the positioning of that hand before that's what was bothering and, you yeah and i woke up my 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 cats woke me up at 5 a.m this morning to be fed i was so pissed and suddenly it dawned on me i was like holy shit and i ran to my computer it and i typed on it you at 5 yes, a.m and that's the that's the positioning of Adam's hand in the Sistine Chapel when God's reaching out to mm-hmm. touch him. It's the exact same positioning that we see each hand. And so it really ties into this connectivity to Hannibal talking about the power of God at the end or the power that, you know, God, God's sort of uh, that whole theme. And and it uh, yeah, it all kind of came together for me after that. Like, Absolutely. I just thought it was very yeah. brilliant. Uh, mm-hmm. Um, positioning of hands to kind of thematically just tie everything together. It's beautiful. There's, I mean, that's, I think that that is, we can say that that's true without, I mean, obviously we're not spoiling anything, but of every crime scene, bodies are positioned in these really like beautiful ways. Deliberately beautiful Um, ways. Deliberately beautiful ways. One episode in particular stands out in my mind as I think about that. (laughs) The positioning of beautiful bodies. Um, (laughs) But I agree with everything that everyone has said here about this mushroom garden. That was one of the most, that was one of the things that was most off-putting about it was this is actually very beautiful and interesting to look at. Mm -hmm. And then I was sitting there thinking to myself, why are you having that thought? This is horrifying. (laughs) Yep. Right? Yeah. Oh, I also just, yeah. Yes. Before we, before we finish up, I do just want to talk real quickly about the psychedelic nature of mushrooms, which we haven't really touched on in this entire episode yet. Of course. And um, I just really quickly want to note that it's like, I, the fact that it, you know, that it is this garden that's out in the woods and all of that for anyone who has done mushrooms I don't know Never heard of it. all of my co-hosts uh. <laughs> have done them, but I'm sure some of us have. Raising hands. <laughs> okay, three yes, two no. But <laughs> for the three yes and two no, um, it's, it's, it's super connective. Like when you take mushrooms, you feel very connected to the mm-hmm. world around you. You feel connected to the people that are around you and you definitely feel like hyper connected to nature. Like every time I've done them, I'm like, get me outside. I need to be mm-hmm. outside and I need to see the trees growing and I need to see basically the way the universe was woven together. <laughs> yes, yeah. I can I was see in, that. I was in Yosemite eye. the second time I did it and 
I could feel the mountains and the expanse of the universe. Yeah. Yeah. And so like, that's just like a whole other kind of like layer to all of this. I'm sorry, go on. Tell me about your trip, Kelly. No, I'm not going to tell you about my trip. (laughs) I've done them and it was easily the worst night of my life. But again, Oh God. Yeah. Sorry about that. No, (laughs) because of this exact point that Lisa's making where it, it just, all the receptors open up that you're going to connect to whatever's around you. So if whatever's around you is not something that you want to connect with on a very deep spiritual level, yeah, not recommended. Definitely. But your Pro point tip, because it can go either way. It can yeah. go either way. And psychedelic <laughs> mushrooms, as they found recently, also reconnect the synapses in your brain. So, mm. which is another kind of connection. Also. There you go. So, there you mushrooms. Go. This mushrooms. episode brought to you by <laughs> psilocybin. <laughs> Um, so, I mean, this is a perfect time. Lisa's recommending psilocybin to us. And what else would you like to recommend, Lisa? Um, yes, I do. I do episode. want to go on record, definitely recommending psycho, what do we, psilocybin, psilocybin to anyone and everyone. It is a very rewarding experience as long as you don't do it the way Kelly Sue did it. <laughs> advice for everybody to live by just in general <laughs> don't do it, it is, the way it is did it. the vaguest yet most specific thing we've ever recommended on this show yeah yeah um so anyway um aside from recommending that experience yes um i was as as we kind of talked about a bit as mm. um Justin was talking about Paul Stamets. I did not mean to Claire you. I'm sorry. No, no. (laughs) Is Claire the term that we have for when that happens? I consistently steal Justin's recommendations. When we do the fan base weekly, we open the episode with talking about things we're a fan of. And, and I frequently am the first one to go. I don't know why, but I have on more than one occasion taken what Justin was going to talk about. So we can say you got Claired. Yeah. I think yeah, it, I did. So I think I got, way more I got, than one occasion would actually be more accurate. <laughs> it may or may not be on purpose. I'm never going to admit it. So, so I got mildly cleared. Yes. Um, because uh, yes, I was I was going to recommend Star Trek Discovery, um, another Brian Fuller created show mm-hmm. um, that at, like has the concept of the mycelium network is what makes discovery the ship go (laughs) and um the kind of creator of what they call the spore drive on the show Mm. um is named paul stamets played by the wonderful anthony rapp yes Um, Yes. and i love him so much like as a character on that show Mm -hmm. i'm absolutely obsessed with him and um yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely like you take the concept of the mycelium network and then you amplify it um, to out to the entire universe. And there are memories in the network, and it's it's just a really beautiful concept to bring into this like sci-fi space. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, my my recommendation is to definitely watch Star Trek Discovery because it's also just, yes. it's a great show. I love it. 
watch Star Trek Discovery whilst microdosing. Oh, yeah, that's a good idea. That's a good idea. Let's there you go. <laughs> and also, Brian, Brian Fuller got his start in Star Trek. I mean, I think he started mm -hmm. writing TV on DS9 or Voyager or mm -hmm. something like that. Yep. You know? Well, yep. God bless it right to heaven because that is what led us to be here today discussing <laughs> this glorious show, Hannibal. That is, we're, we're already on a network. We're connected via Brian Fuller's creations. Oh, I love it. As always, we're here to be super nerdy and talk about things like mushrooms and mushroom gardens and puns and getting cleared. And we are so happy that you are here to join us. You can listen to our other podcasts, both with the Fanbase Weekly and on Spotify, where all our podcasts can be found, or wait, just Spotify? Oh, you don't have to repeat that. I don't have to repeat that. Okay, <laughs> no, great. No, just... So before we completely sign off, everybody, where can we find you? Phil. Uh, I'm at Philip Creates uh, across all social media. Yes, you are. Even Venmo. So you can look for me there also. <laughs> great. Venmo, Phil a dollar. So he can buy pajama pants. Justin. <laughs> um, I'm a little bothered by the implication that he's not currently wearing pajama pants. Um, <laughs> I post a new page of my hard-boiled fantasy webcomic, Hunter Black, every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at hunterblackcomics.com. Uh, you can find me on trivia at hunterblackcomx. Nice. Claire. I am, you got cleared. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, man, am, that'd be awesome. <laughs> that'd be great. <laughs> I am at Unexpected Hobby on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And you can find my book, A Geek's Guide to Cross Stitch Journeys in Space, on the Fanbase Press website. You can find my geeky cross stitch patterns on Etsy um, in my store, which is Unexpected Hobby. Yes. You can also find her love for in all of the everything I do. Twitter threads. <laughs> Lisa. Hello, uh, you can find me at Lcat Weber on all the social medias, and you can find Hex 11, the beautiful comic that Kelly Sue and I make together at hexcomics.com. Awesome. And I am Kelly Sue. You can find me at Kelly Sue Says on Twitter, Instagram, and follow the single video that I do have on the TikTok. Please subscribe and give us a follow at PopsiclePod, P-O-P-S-K-L-P-O-D on all social media platforms. Until next time, happy hunting. This has been a Popsicle Podcast production.